0: Some things are simple, but they're hard to do. They're simple to understand, but they're hard to do. Um, uh, Jumping out of an airplane is simple. Actually, you just fall. You walk through, just like you walk through that door. You just do that. Just do that, and it works. Do that, count to ten, and pull a rope. It's simple, but it's hard to do. Right? It's not complex. Walk through a door, count to ten. Pull a string, but it's it's hard to do. You know, there's some of us have jobs that are that are that way. They're they're simple in concept, but they're hard to do. Some manual labor is that way. Um, you go to work, you work hard, you come home, and you do a thing. It's it's simple, but it's hard to do. Getting up early to exercise. Simple. That's not rocket science, people. <laughs> you know that clock you set for six? You just set it for five. I don't do it, but I'm saying <laughs> it's simple, but it's hard to do. It's, it's hard to do. But it's, in our minds, it's simple. You know that you've kind of come upon one of these ideas when someone says, in frust- like you're trying to fix their life, and they say something like this, I know what I'm supposed to do. It's the doing it that's hard. Right? That's, that's what they're trying to say. It's, it, like, it isn't doesn't require a lot of brain power. It's just hard to do. You know, I think sometimes you look at a mountain and you're like, I don't know how to climb it. It's just hard. You climb it, you just go that way, point at the peak. But there are also things in life that are not quite as simple. Um, There are things that um, are hard to understand. Probably the, the chief among these is people. But there are some of you who likely Someone might, if, if, a, if a school took a field trip to your job and they looked into your little cubicle, they would all say, oh, that's pretty simple because all you did was sit in your seat and clickety-clack on your keyboard. I mean, it's so simple, it's boring to the outside observer. Um, but in reality, some of you may be solving world peace and all of the intricate relationships and the kind of environment you're trying to shape for whatever you're doing you're dealing with very complex uh, variables. It's just, it, it appears simple, but in fact, it's, it's, it's really quite hard, and, and that is kind of how people are. People um, are not simple. They're complex. And uh, this this sermon series uh, that we'll be spending some time in, about f- four or five more weeks, is about dealing with people's, uh, dealing with the burdens within, within the church and the burdens that people carry and... Um, all of these, what we would consider not simple things. I mean, they're, in some ways, they're very complex. Sometimes you kind of open the door to, to someone's, the real world that somebody's living in, and you can hardly even figure out, like, how do you start? Sometimes. But sometimes it's simple and it's just hard to do. And this morning, uh, we're gonna, as a as a gathering of believers, we're gonna wrestle through um, why why we're involved at a distance, or why we're not why we're not involved um, with some of the the issues that are around us. Because sometimes we're involved at a distance because it's complex, and you don't you, you can't solve it. You don't know how to you don't know how to get in right and. And this morning, I, I in no way want to address that emotion as being uh, in need of improvement. <laughs> um, you know, when you honestly love somebody and you have a burden, some of you have people in your own families and you're struggling like, how do I share the love of Christ with them? And it's not simple, and it's hard to do. And I hear that. But there's mixed in with all of that is probably some element in our lives of well, there are things that are simple to understand. They're just hard to do, and we're not doing them. And so I, I hope this morning to kind of pull out that side um, of the idea. You want to pray with me, and then we'll, we'll turn to the Word. Lord, um, as anything is tilled up and unearthed, uh, we, don't, we don't know what will be found, Lord, but you do. You're in the deepest of depths, and you're in the highest of heights. And your love extends from the east and to the west. And so, Lord, I pray as your word instructs that we might uh, be faithful to follow the leading of your Holy Spirit. Lord, not by our own strength, but by yours. And we do this for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, the Lord, uh, uh, last week we talked about two of the three things that are given to the believer to deal with Uh, the issues, the burdens uh, of life. Last week we talked about the first two, and today is the third one. These are the kind of the three basic resources, the three legs to the stool upon which um, our faith kind of manages the heaviness of life. The first one we talked about was a right knowledge or an understanding of who we are in relationship to God, and that is found in the Word of God. That by us understanding the Word of God, the Lord continually is setting our perspective back to the way it should be. We are, we're, we're dynamically unstable. We're like a marble on the top of a hill. So you get it right, and then you let go, and your mind and spirit falls off the hill. And the Word recorrects us all the time back to the top of the hill, that this is who we are before the Lord. This is what God's trying to do. This is what purpose means. These ideas, all of that comes from the Word, which means for those of us who live in a community that has challenges, which is every earthly community known to us, That we are in need of the word to correct us so that we even know how to engage. That was the first one we talked about last week. And the second one we talked about was the Holy Spirit. That the the need for the intervention of the Holy Spirit into the the difficulties of our lives comes from our ability and willingness to declare ourselves helpless. That we we need to, through humility, carve a space in our spirit to give to the Lord the opportunity to work. And in fact, there's ways that we, through our practical living, deny the power of the gospel by the ways we continually try to manage our issues. And that we are in need of the Spirit to come in and do those things which are he- most heavy upon us. Well, this morning, what we're going to spend our time is- on is this third idea, which I'm calling the gathering of believers. The gathering of believers. I didn't say church, because um, if I said church, I'm worried you would think of some kind of ministry or of the pastoral staff, maybe. Uh, these walls, this building, it's not, that's not what it is. It's the gathering of believers. The word church is derived from the Greek word for gathering. Gathering. That's what we are. We're the gathering of believers. And if I'm in this room looking out for a gathering, I see it down there. Right? Where's the gathering here? I mean, weird. We're the gathering of believers. So that when the letters are written to the church, it's being written to us. And when the teachings are to love one another, that's not that's not solely directed to where the lights are, right? It's being directed to the gathering of believers. Just listen to the admonition of the word. I'm going to read you some passages. There are so many of them. Um, these are some crowning, crowning passages. Just, and listen, they're simple, but they're hard to do, okay? Finally, this is 1 Peter, finally, all of you, Live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. That's simple. It's hard to do. But it's simple. This is Romans 12. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we, who are many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. Which member belongs to the others? Each member. All right. We're not connected to, to one. We're interconnected to one another. That's, that's the gathering of believers. This is what Ephesians 2 says. Consequently, Now this is to the church in Ephesus. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. That's you. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit all three of these ideas by the way are possessed in this fabulous passage the the idea of of right standing before God or understanding who God is, and then the idea of the work of the Holy Spirit, and then the idea of the ingathering of believers are all in this passage of uh, of Ephesians chapter 2. This idea that we are being built, we collectively as the gathering are being built into a temple to inhabit the Holy Spirit so that we might rightly honor the Lord. They're all there. We do that collectively. 1 Corinthians 12 says this, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Its parts should have equal concern for one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. It's simple. It's just hard. And None of this is rocket science. And this is the heart of instruction to the church. I mean, the gospel, the power of transformation, and when it, when it finally simmers down into the church, these are the passages that just... Define it. It's simple, but it's hard. Here's one of my favorites. It may be my favorite. It's times when you come across a passage in scripture and you're like, I gotta remember that. I gotta memorize it. Which is simple, but it's hard to do. So I don't have it memorized. But <coughs> this is so good. Listen to this. Just listen. This whole passage is music. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Is that not one of the finest sentences? It's just beautiful. Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. That's what you're doing. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. That's a good one. These ideas, they are simple. I understand they're hard to do, but they're simple. What I want to do now is I want to take us into the Galatians, to the book of Galatians, to the sixth chapter. I want us to read. We're going to read a similar passage to the ones that have been said. This one is almost in our Bible study this week. It was brought out that this is almost like bullet statements. It's like da 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 da. Here's what you need to do. You want to be a good member of the body of Christ. You want to be a good citizen in the kingdom of Christ? You want to be a good, a good and, and righteous part of the building of the temple of God upon the foundation, which is the apostles and the prophets that were, were built? If you want to be what you're supposed to be, this is like, it's like Paul says, well, then do this, is what he says. And we're going to read uh, 6, 1 through 10, but we're going to f- keep our focus to the first five verses. This is what it says. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin... You who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else for each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor, which, by the way, on behalf of the staff, we say thank you. (laughs) Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit, will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Now, in this text is is a certain sort of, of richness, and it's important to put it in, in context with the with the rest of the letter to the Galatians, Paul has, for five and a half chapters, been liberating the church of Galatians from um, adherence to a certain form of law or code for the purpose of righteousness. uh, The church has been caught up with, in order to be right before the Lord, you have to do this thing. Right? And we... We've seen that being expressed in certain ways in, in our own lives and churches. You have to do this thing, and, and Paul's been liberating from them from that, liberating them to the point that all that matters in the faith is earnest faith. And through that faith, the knowledge of righteousness comes into us as a form of joy, not as a burden and of oppression, but rather we now know how to do good and have a desire to do that good which is in us. And that comes through faith and through the Holy Spirit, so that at last, he says, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Therefore, move on to do these things. And then he finally, heading into chapter 6, he finally gets practical. So Paul's been theological the whole time. Now he's getting practical, and he says, just before this section, he says, now, as dealing with life, he says, because he's just set everybody free, right? Everybody's free to do whatever they want. And so he says, now, listen. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, people. They're obvious. And he lists them, debauchery, on and on and on and on and on. He kind of lists this list. He says, these are obviously not the kinds of things that someone who loves the Lord is going to do. They're, they're, obviously, these are the wrong ones. They're simple and easy to do, I confess. But they're not what a life in faith is built by. And then he turns his attention to but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience and it goes to that list he's just finished doing that and now he turns his attention to the gathering of believers how we ought to live together and and what i what i want you to draw out of this is your salvation with the lord has a lot more to do Uh, than just your holy posture before him. It's more than like a moral faith, and it's certainly more than an individual walk. Paul takes the moral faith of the individual, and he incorporates it into the rehabilitation of the church. So your life of redemption is to be used and applied towards the church's, the gathering's life of redemption which is what this text is saying. And so let's look at some of the the ways he says this. He starts off, If someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. And there's a few ideas here. The first one is this idea of gentle restoration. This ought to be your posture. And listen, as we go through these, this is what I want you to do in your spirit. I think they're very practical. I just want you to kind of ask yourself, are you doing this well? before the lord not are you doing it better than the person next to you of course you're going to say yes cuz you don't know what their you don't know what their life's about i want you to say like how am i doing this understanding that the lord hears and seeks you out some of them some of these things you may be very good at but just ask you know is this some place i'm doing well or is this a place i really need to improve upon just ask that as we go through here. But the first concept is this one of gentle restoration. Is that your posture when you see something wrong in the church? How can I be a part of the gentle restoration? And by the way, it's of someone caught in sin, which is different. And the Greek gives a kind of a different mood to it. This is not somebody who's like headed headlong down into the depths of hell and is like laughing on the way down. It, Paul's not saying, find a way to gently restore him not saying that. Paul has plenty of other ways of dealing with that. Paul's saying, to, this is to the person who's kind of meandering. You know, your friend. Somebody in the church who, who, was, who was on the right path, but something has caught their attention and they're drifting off. And notice it's not, it's not gently restore the person who you catch in sin. It's not what is being said. It's to the person who's caught. even There's a poor victim mood in that. You you hear that? That's, right, we, you know how often, how much we could rehabilitate one another if we did the gentle restoration at this stage of the game? Sometimes, at this early stage where things are not quite right, it's like the ounce of prevention and the pound of cure we don't intervene here, well then, what becomes getting caught in sin becomes the character of sin and the way of sin and the path of sin and the habit of sin and the darkness of sin and the waywardness of sin. And then it's like, well, there's no room for gentleness and there's no room for this and and we all look and go, what a disappointment. And I wonder sometimes if the Holy Spirit's saying, what a disappointment the gathering was when they could have at some point had been so gentle coming alongside. It's simple, but it's hard to do. Notice he does a few things here. He says, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. I don't think that Paul's writing to the church in Galatians, and at this point he's directing his conversation to the five spiritual people. Like, to the church. You who are spiritual will be the ones who... I think what he's doing is he's reminding them that this is a spiritual activity. He's saying, remember... You are spiritual. There's an issue. You are innately spiritual. This is something that is connected to your life. And then he gives a warning, right? He says, but watch yourself, lest you may be tempted. I can't say we all know this. Many of us know those places we should not go, right? For some of us, it's the places we've just come out of you are oftentimes the most keen detector of when someone is getting caught in a like-minded sin it does not necessarily mean that you need to be the tip of the spear of redemption. Okay? So, you know, you've got, you, you know the language that's used when someone's trying to kind of hem and haw around the teachings of Christ the way you've done it your whole life, right? And you're celebrating the fact that you're not the same way. I, I'm just here to say... Um, Understand to the degree that your faith is strong, you engage. And this is, this is especially kind of in tune with the fact that over this season we're going to be talking about certain kinds of addictive sins and identity sins and these sorts of things. Right? And if you have for the past three years been working not to gossip, right, and you're like, ah, that person is a gossip, you may not be the one to come to the rescue. Because the whole visit is going to be tempting. Just be thoughtful. Paul says, be thoughtful. God says, be thoughtful. Right? That's one that's not so simple. Okay, let's look at the second verse here. It says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. This is really interesting because the whole book of Galatians, Paul has been saying there is no law but Christ. Right? The law, is, the law is old, the law is this, the law is that. The law, He's been kind of putting the law back in its corner, this whole book, and then he turns right around and says, carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will be fulfilling the law of Christ. It's this, what he's essentially saying is, is the heart of the gospel faith is understood by the way you bear one another's burdens. Did not Christ come down to earth to gently restore those who were caught in sin? And did he not do it by carrying our burdens? In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. You want to know as the gathering how we express the fullness of the love of Christ? We do it through the act of bearing one another's burdens. Not by living a holy individual life in a bubble. That is simple. But it's hard to do. Verse 3 If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Paul's saying, Be humble. In this room, there are people who have heavy burdens, and in this room, there are people who do not have heavy burdens. You who do not have a heavy burden right now is not because you're the man of the hour. I don't know why you don't have a heavy burden. It may be because you're so spiritually weak you would break underburden. It may be because the Lord has a deep, mysterious will that we'll never understand and you're in a season of just joyful daisies. God bless you. Give credit to the Lord. But do not think that your primrose life Has been established out of some innate gifting that you can take credit for. Have we not seen the highest people fall? And have we not seen the lowest people glorified? Be humble. Verse 4: each one should test his own actions then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. This is, this is an important notion. Is When we're sitting, uh, when we're in a gathering, a community, any group of people, and this happens at any scale. It happens at different degrees d- depending on the scale, whether it's this big room or a Sunday school class or a Bible study or a life group or accountability. Whatever it is, we, we're prone to compare ourselves not to the holy standard God has established, but rather compare ourselves to the person beside us. That's how we decide how we're doing. How am I doing in the faith? Well, I, I come out looking pretty good when compared to this stack of people. And what the Lord is saying here is this, stop that. That's not useful. For one, as soon as you begin to do that, you're going you're to be able to set for yourself a limit of I've given enough because I'm, I'm above the curve. And Paul's saying that's not useful. What's useful is, in your exertions to bear the burdens of one another, you examine yourself before the picture of Christ. And you allow that to speak. You allow, you allow that to kind of calm you down. Just Because some, sometimes the Lord will say, that's enough. You don't need to do everything. Sometimes the Lord will say, that's not for you. Sometimes the Lord will say, this is not the right season. But it needs to be the Lord who says it. And not you saying it because... You've done twice as much as the person beside you. In fact, he follows this up. He says, for each one should carry his own load. And if you read this whole passage, it sounds like there is an anomaly. He says, for everybody should carry one another's burdens. Three verses later, he says, for each one should carry his own load. He's speaking of a different idea. And the first one, he's saying, we are responsible for the heaviness of the congregational load. The second one he's saying is, is, listen, Lord has assigned or set aside for each individual person here a different kind of load that they can carry. Some of you are load bearers. Some of you carry a feather. Like, that's it. Right? But some of you are like oxes. And you, God made you to endure the heaviness of other people. And you do it and you don't get depressed about it. And in fact, if the Lord made you that way, I mean, some people, you gain a joy of sharing burdens. You model it. And so the Lord's saying, look, as you examine yourself, don't examine yourself in light of the standard, because there is no standard but Christ. Ask yourself, how am I before Christ, and what has God called me to do, and how has he called me to bear this burden? That's the heart of this this passage is how the gathering of believers shares one another's burdens. For the most part, this is is simple, but it's hard to do. For the most part. Faith is more than a moral life. It is a community of rehabilitation. What I want to do now is I I want to address two groups. Very quickly, I want to address two groups. First, to the gathering to, the, to you who right now are outside of some major issue. These are just what I find to be uh, things I have to remind myself of um, regularly. And I think, I think they're useful. The first one is, you do not need to wait until you are perfect in order to help. It's very important. Ultimately, if you take this very seriously, you're not approaching a situation with your own sense of authority. You're approaching the situation with a right standing of who God is because you've read the Word and with the power of the Spirit. Your perfection would get in the way. In fact, some of you are profoundly equipped to help because of your massive imperfection. So and i 'll speak to the, the the more mature echelon of the church for a second because you 've been there and you 've done that right this is this is the this is the echelon of the church that um, uh, you 've been through the rough patch in your marriage you 've done that right you many of you have buried your parents you 've done that many of you have Experienced trans- an unwanted or involuntary transition of a job. You've done that. You've gone through menopause. You've done that. You've you've had to experience all those sorts of things about you know growing manhood. You've done that. The, uh, I remember once I was in a, I was in a men's breakfast and I was visiting with, with a bunch of people my age and and we were talking about I don't know we just need a change in life and John walks by and just goes, that's a midlife crisis. And he just kept walking. <laughs> I mean, he had his plate of food. And he's like, midlife crisis. He, like, in a moment, he diagnosed me to the core. And it was, the therapy about it was marvelous. Because sometimes it's, it feels good not to be profound. Like, doesn't it feel good sometimes if, if someone just says, oh, well, that's it? I'm not saying it hurts any less. It's like, oh, I'm part of, it's just part of the natural order of life. There's an echelon in this church who has been there and done that and some of you are not talking because when you were there you did not do well has that has that placed you outside of this gathering cannot your humility and the spirit and the truth of God find some possible way in to help people who are right now being caught in sin unknowingly meandering from the path The fact that your marriage wasn't great. The fact that your children are not on the cover of Wheaties. Whatever it is, right? You have something. Titus talks about older women teaching younger women how to be. This is the natural order of things. Young people who have ears to hear can hear from older people. doesn't work as well the other way around. You don't have to be perfect in order to help. And if you're waiting to become perfect, you will not help. You're just going to sit outside. You know, and this is, uh, just from a pro- I somehow have to get up here and tell, and tell you how to raise kids when my kids are a huge question mark right now. They're in that phase, right? I don't know how, I don't know how it's going to turn out. I, I'm loving them like you're loving them, but people make their own decisions. Upon what basis does, do I do that? Upon the basis that God's word says things upon the basis that we believe the Holy Spirit ministers, and upon the basis that I am obliged through the stewardship of the word and my obligation to the gathering of believers to help. Our imperfection cannot be a congregational gag order. Just be humble and biblical and honest about your life. That's the first one. The second one I would say is this. You're not called by the Bible, to fix everything. <laughs> you're called to love, a bear a burden, and walk alongside. You hear that? You're not called to fix. Now, there are things like restore. So you are called to, I'm not saying you're not supposed to be fixed-minded, but many of us stay outside the fray because we don't know the fix because this is one of those things that is not simple. It's hard and it is complex. And when you see something going south, but you see it from a mile away, you're like, ah, oh, I have no idea how to enter in. Right? I remember this, when our denomination was telling us to embrace Wilmington, is what they said. Embrace Wilmington. How does that even happen? You look from outside, you look in, you think that, doesn't, that looks disingenuous, it looks overly simplistic, it looks, you know, and the answer is you go into it, you habitate in and alongside of it, and the Lord gives you clarity. It is the same with us, brothers and sisters. You don't stay at a distance because you don't understand. God did not say, and when you, thou fooliest understandeth, then you enter in with three steps to the cure. That is nowhere in the word. It says, bear one another's burdens. If one part suffers, we all suffer. What? Maybe our obligation is to come alongside and suffer, Maybe it's just to quietly weep. Maybe it's simply say, I don't have answers, but I have a phone number and I have an ear and I have time. Chances are, when the Lord brings you close to something, you'll be given a burden to pray. When you're given a burden to pray, your Holy Spirit, which knows how to moan and groan to the Lord in ways you don't understand, will begin to give and ask and receive answers to the issue that you can barely even grasp. And that will come to you, and by the very nature of you being close and open and honest with the person and with the Lord, you'll be part of the answer. That's what it means to be in the gathering of believers. And finally, I'll say this. It's being modeled around us in form and in substance. So uh, this is not an exhortation to get it started in our church because some of you do it so well. Um... You know, I I think this is the best church in the world. Um, So there's really, there's great examples, both in form and substance. And what I mean by form is, is there's ministries with names and brochures and pictures. They kind of try to represent the idea in form. Like a life group says, as gathering of believers, we should be interdependent, sharing our lives together at a personal level. Hence the life group, or at a Bible study, or at a Sunday school class, or a men's breakfast. These are being expressed modeled in the life of our church, but they're also being lived out organically. And you should be able to see them in both places. That should be able to encourage you. Okay. That's to the gathering. Now to the person who is heavy laden. Nothing can happen if you do not confess. I don't know what to say. Jesus says, come to me all you who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. But you have to come. You have to come. And there's this attitude in the Word. Uh, we, when we read confession, let me say there's an attitude in us. When we read confession, most often, even in the Word, it has to do with sin. And so the issue of confession comes up and we're wrestling with the idea of sin. But in reality, there is a, there's a large bandwidth that fits in the category of confession. In 1 Peter... He's to, excuse me, James 5, he's talking about um, if someone is in sin, they can come and confess their sins. And then it says, and if someone's sick, they can come and be prayed over and have their head anointed by the elders and they'll pray for them. Likewise, he says... That's when he says the effective prayers of a righteous man availeth much. That's in that passage right there, and it just talks about how whether it be sin, if it's sin they'll be forgiven, and if it's sickness they'll they'll pursue healing. Do you see what's in what it is? Is this there's a bigger idea with confession? It's not just once when I was five I said a dirty word. It's it's a bigger idea of confessing weakness and inability. So some of you have burdens, but it doesn't easily translate into obvious sin. So you're not confessing, because it doesn't feel like a sin, that you need to confess one to another a sense of, I, it's not going well, and I can't fix it. If you can't do that, it doesn't enter into the community in a way that is usable or useful. The word teaches us to confess. And I will say this, and maybe, maybe you're the exception, but I will say some of you think because you're living a life of shame right now, a deep life of shame, for whatever reason it is, that, um, that there's not a, maybe you even feel like a victim. And I'm here to say that when you cannot confess, well, even if it's because of shame, chances are that pride and arrogance are a major part of that chemistry as well. And you're thinking, well, how can I be prideful? I'm ashamed of myself. I have so much shame, I have so much shame, I have so much shame. Well, why aren't you telling anybody? It's not because of your shame. It's because of your pride. Pr- and pride shows up on every in every corner of the Christian life. In our shame, pride is there. And in our vainglory, pride is there. The faith is more than just a moral life. We have been called to the mutual rehabilitation and redemption of the gathering.